0: Welcome to episode 16 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen with host Matt Payne. Today's guest is a legendary writer and photographer, uh, Guy Tal. I can't tell you how excited I was when he um, agreed to be on the podcast. I was like, yes, like one of my favorite authors about photography in the world. It's going to be great. And man, it it totally lived up to the hype. Um we had some technical difficulties due to some internet connection stuff, but, man, uh, what a great conversation and what a really just super thoughtful and inspirational guy to talk to. Um, you guys are going to love it. Um, please, please, please rate the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. It really helps. Um, and spread the word. And if uh reach out on Facebook uh Uh, Instagram, Twitter, all the social stuff, uh, Matt Payne Photo or Matt Payne Photography. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you guys and uh, enjoy the show. Guy, tell man it's it's a super honor to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to to come on the show.
1: Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me.
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, I've I've been following your blog for probably a good five or six years now. I've I really really enjoy your writing. There's just something about it that um, it's it's emotional. Like you can tell that it comes straight from your soul and. And and I I really like that. So I just wanted to first say props to you for that.
1: Well, thank you very much. I mean, for me, it would not be worth doing without being able to connect with it on that level.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's super obvious that um, that you have a passion for for writing as well as photography. Um, I mean, I, I would say, I I'm, every single podcast I've done so far. Um, every person has said, man, can you get Guy Tal on the, on the podcast?
1: I'm like, I'll try. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's a big compliment.
0: Yeah. You're, <clears throat> you're very well known. So that's cool. So, I mean, just, you know, we've never had a single conversation other than, um, just, you know, my blog comments. And so maybe just tell us a little bit about you and, um, Kind of. I know you're from Torrey, Utah, or you live in Torrey, Utah, but mm-hmm. maybe just tell me a little bit about who you are and what it's like to live out there, and maybe you know whatever whatever else you think would be cool for for our listeners to to know about you.
1: Okay. Well, it's a it's a pretty uh, convoluted story about how I got here. I uh, was born. I grew up in Israel. I lived there for 26 years. Uh, I didn't actually speak English on a daily basis or write in English until I was 26. Um, But yeah, I decided to leave Israel for a lot of different reasons. And uh, when I decided that I wanted to live in the U.S., it was very important to me that I would not be uh, considered an outsider. So I wanted to make sure that I learned the language properly, that I could speak without an accent, that I could write properly. Um, And obviously, got to know a lot of the Local traditions, and uh, for me coming here is very—it was a very strange um, feeling. Uh, it's like starting over as an adult, already knowing a lot about life and about the world, uh, and about who I was and what I wanted to get. Um, So, uh, my first introduction to the Southwest actually came during my mandatory military service in Israel. Uh, We were out on the Golan Heights, and uh, the military brought us a, a truck with care packages and all kinds of stuff and among them was a book by Ed Abbey called Desert Solitary you might be familiar with it and so I read it I read it at three o'clock in the morning on a guard (laughs) tower on the Golan Heights looking over the border at Syrian soldiers Um, and I was just fascinated with it I didn't ever think I would actually get to see these places let alone live here but then, you know, as fate would have it, um, when I uh, was working for the University of Tel Aviv, uh, I worked on computers and Internet technologies before it became a public service. And so I had a lot of experience with that. And when, uh, when the big tech boom happened, I had some skills that were in demand. So I moved to California and joined a startup there. Uh, I always knew I wanted to leave, and uh, that was a great opportunity for me. And then one thing led to another, and I remember that book that I read way back in the uh, military. <laughs> <laughs> and the first chance I got, I decided I had to go see these places. And it was it was really love at first sight. It was in a, a feeling that I can't I can't describe. It was like coming back to a place that I've known all my life, even though I've never been here. Wow! Uh, I, I, yeah, I felt like I knew the way to places that I've never been to. It just felt so familiar. Uh, and so, uh, a few more years, a career in technology. I own my own consulting business. Um, moved to Salt Lake City at first, uh, and then finally, I realized I just had to live here. This this place is just my home. It just feels like my home more than anywhere else I've ever been to. Uh, and, and so, uh, when
0: did you make it to Utah?
1: uh probably 97 96 97
0: okay cool wow that's that's an awesome story because um <clears throat> I think a lot of people at least a lot of people that I know that get into this stuff you know they they get exposed to it as a at an early age and and it just you know it becomes part of their part of their soul I guess you could say but it sounds like you just caught the bug by reading the book and then as soon as you saw it it was like holy cow I'm home <laughs>
1: Well, I was always a nature boy. I was always an explorer. I always liked being by myself out in the fields. And uh, growing up in Israel, there was a huge population boom after the fall of the Soviet Union. And uh, everything became constructed. A lot of the wild that I had as a child just uh, didn't exist anymore. Hmm. And something in me just always wanted to find it again. And I think I was able to find it here.
0: That's awesome. So what is your... um... How did how did you pull photography into that connection to that um, landscape and and maybe talk a little bit about um, what that connection means to you? Because I think that comes out in your writing, but it's I think it'll be interesting to hear you kind of talk, talk through that for how what it means to you to connect to, to the to the natural world and through photography.
1: I practice not always uh, deliberately, but I realize now that I've always practiced photography as a self-expressive art, as a self-expressive medium, which means that it expresses my own thoughts and feelings, my own uh, inner states, things that are related to my experiences, rather than just documenting things that I see. And so as I evolved as a person, photography kind of evolved with me, it wasn't really planned. Mm. I picked up a camera in my teens. At the time, I couldn't even tell you who Ansel Adams was. I didn't have influences. I just wanted to photograph things that I encountered uh, in the wild doing the things i love to do and it kind of grew with me the more i learned about life about myself uh, i just found means of expression using photography because it started being a a skill something that i like to do and then i realized that i could apply that skill in a lot of different ways just as an expressive medium just like writing just like music just like any other thing so i wouldn't necessarily say that photography is a uh, the the best or the most worthy medium for it but I think that when someone has a means of expression and things that they consider worth expressing, it's a, it's an evolutionary process. It's not like there's a list of places and things and techniques and that I need to do. Uh, it's just, as I grow, as I experience, as I feel, it gives me a way of, um, uh, uh, composing it, of, of, uh, placing some order around it and sharing it with others.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> one of the, things that always has drawn me to your photography is um it's it's very unique in terms of um subject and composition and and the subtlety of of, of a lot of your work is you know it it's it's just it's different um which which i <clears throat> i don't you know it's not like trophy hunting like where you see a lot of people on instagram or whatever nowadays that they're just trying to get a checklist of locations or shots and I feel like um your photography is more you can just tell that it's a more personal uh process and so what is what is that like for you when you're out with your camera in in those places and 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 what is kind of going through your your mind and 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 sometimes I'm wondering if it's not even your mind but just it's almost like a natural reaction to where you're at. I am curious to know how that works for you.
1: Yes, I I think it's a very holistic thing. For me the the emphasis is on the experience. I wanna be there, I wanna feel, I wanna, you know, have a multi sensory experience to, to taste and to touch and to smell and all of it combines into, you know, some of the most meaningful experiences of my life and the camera is there with me. I don't go out looking for photographs. I just experience something that moves me and then I try to distill that into a photograph or at least capture some aspects of it in a photograph Uh, and sometimes the experience is so overwhelming that I won't even bother with the camera it's it's a secondary consideration for me
0: yeah yeah that's I've always struggled with that because a lot of my photography is in the wilderness in Colorado here and and a lot of times you know I'm up up above tree line witnessing a sunrise or a sunset and it's 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 really distracting to like think about taking the photo but then also trying to experience being there it's sometimes it's hard to do both
1: <laughs> well i think a lot of it comes down to intuition but uh, you know some intuition is innate you know we all have it but some intuitions come out of practice and the more you practice the more you teach yourself to think in a certain way the more intuitive it would become so i might have an experience and something in my unconscious mind would compose it Would visually would look at the visual elements that i have to work with and put them together and just it will just pop into my head something that says you know this thing that you're feeling now if you put these things together these colors these shapes these patterns these lines you could inspire that mood in people And I've also been very fascinated with a lot of the science uh, behind it too. Uh, So I've been looking at uh, a lot of psychological studies, neuroscience, anything I could find uh, having to do with visual perception and the connection between uh, visual stimulus and uh, emotions and feelings and concepts and ideas so I can uh, intuitively design a photograph to express certain moods.
0: That's fascinating. I, I, I think a lot of people don't, don't think that much about the image. They're more drawn to, um, I guess a specific element in a scene like the sunrise or the sunset or a waterfall or whatever. And I, I think it's a rare gift to be able to be in a location and pull all of those elements into one image that, that really, that really speaks to other people, not just you. I think, that's that's not something that... I think you. it's almost unteachable. What do you think? Uh,
1: well, first of all, thank you, but uh, I don't think it's entirely unteachable. Uh, I would say things like creativity are unteachable because we don't really know enough about it. Uh, and it may or may not be teachable. We don't know. Uh, but things like uh, visual expression, visual perception, a lot of it is about attitude. Uh, I think a lot of people approach photography as a medium for... Commemorating something that happened in the past, rather than creating something new, uh, mm. and and if if you look at the at the landscape, uh, both as a source of inspiration and as a repository of elements. Think of it as a language. You have a visual vocabulary. You know the meanings of colors and lines and shapes and juxtaposition and what you can combine to produce what effect. Uh, it's communicating in, in this language. It's it's an ambiguous language. It's not as precise as spoken language, uh, but you can express things that are a lot more intuitive rather than factual.
0: Ah, that. <laughs> I, I'm sure some people listening are thinking like, man, that's heavy, because <laughs> I'm trying to think about when I'm when I'm in the field and I'm I feel like sometimes I overthink um, like the compositional elements or or the different aspects of what I'm really trying to capture and and I and I and and I maybe part of it for me was I started out as photography was a means to commemorate my my mountain climbs and so it later become more of an expression of of my experiences and and what I'm drawn to in the wilderness but that took a long time to develop for me and and now it comes more naturally but I it's it's funny because I don't I find that the more I think about it the less successful I am if that makes sense
1: uh, yeah it does uh, and actually just to complete my previous answer I realize I forgot that I actually do teach a class called a visual language uh, about creating emotional experiences in photographs rather than uh, uh, just purely documentary uh, and you know Edward Weston you said it took a long time Edward Weston's famous uh, advice he said if he had one advice to a new artist it's that there are no shortcuts in photography <laughs> I mean we all start in fairly similar ways, wanting to document things, wanting to master certain uh, techniques. But then as we grow, and assuming that we grow, um, (laughs) then uh, it evolves with us. I don't think you can expect somebody to photograph instantly like someone who's been photographing deliberately and expressively for years, for decades.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think it's interesting because what I've seen is a lot of people get into photography and maybe it lasts a year or two or three and and then they kind of just drop out of it for some reason and i'm wondering if those that have dropped out of it maybe they haven't connected it quite that way in terms of um using it as a form of artistic expression
1: Actually, I'm fairly certain that's exactly what happens, because at some point you master the techniques, the technical novelty you're staying, you've checked off all the boxes of all the national parks and all the places that everybody else shoots, and then, okay, now what? Uh, and if you don't have that expressive, um, I would call it desire or, or passion or drive within you, then there's really nothing left to hold your interest uh, and I think that's also why for a lot of people photography is a social pursuit because that's a different kind of reward that you get from photography. Uh, but for me, being a, an introvert my whole life, uh, the expressive powers of photography have always been extremely fascinating because I can communicate and share with people in ways that I wouldn't feel comfortable doing in person in a conversation.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because <clears throat> I'm actually a pretty... St- big extrovert. Um, But when it comes to um, photography, I'm I'm incredibly introverted in terms of what I want to experience. I, I generally don't want to be around other people or maybe one or two other people at the most. And beyond that, I start to just get a weird taste in my mouth in terms of the experience. There's something about solitude and being out there alone for me that connects me better to the landscape and, and, and finding that expressive process. But um, I've, I've, I've often found with artists that, um, uh, that I've spoken with, um, that there, there's, there tends to be this, I don't know how to say this, there tends to be people, a lot of the people that I've found that are really great artists tend to have either be extremely introverted or have had, um, a profoundly disturbing experience in their life, maybe with substance abuse or, or with the way they grew up or, or some other experience. And, and then they find art as a means of expression that helps, maybe helps them cope with the world or helps them heal or, or maybe it, it just makes, helps them make more sense of the world. I, I find that to be just an interesting, um, I guess, dichotomy between introversion, extroversion, and and, and artistry in general.
1: Mm, Absolutely. And and there's a known correlation between um, rates of depression and people in creative professions. So those things have been studied. And I'm not shy about admitting to anybody that I do suffer from severe depression at times. And it is very therapeutic to me, the experiences and the ability to express things visually in a a creative way. Both of them, to me, are are a way of... uh, Uh, If if you're familiar with the flow uh, effect, um, it's it's a way of getting into that flow state of mind where your attention is entirely dedicated to that creative work, to that beauty, to the experience, to whatever it is that you are working on. Uh, And it leaves no room for other things. So it's almost like taking a break from the things that hound you, from your demons, just just to be able to engage in something that is very meaningful and personal and deep.
0: Right, it's like a a natural Xanax or something, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, in a way, uh well, Zen is an interesting topic. I think people think uh, people have different perceptions of Zen, um, but the idea of Zen is that it's not something you can explain it's it's something that defies anything. It's a state of being uh, and unless you understand that it's it's not really about the rituals. It's not about the meditation, it's not about it, it's a, it's about being in that state of mind. Um, where you you are observing yourself from the outside where you're a non-entity it's a very interesting thing i
0: hadn't i hadn't really thought about it um in terms of of it being a tool for people um to to use um i I, I hate to say self-medicate but almost um it's it's a coping skill
1: i I think it is and for me it's it's a I consider photography and writing as two complementary things in my life where photography helps me put the external world in some kind of order and some kind of meaningful configuration where writing kind of helps me explore my inner world and try to extract things that I wouldn't necessarily think about or be conscious of, uh, you know, just in the daily flow of things.
0: Yeah, so shifting gears just a little bit, one of the um, things that I really enjoy about your writing that um that I that I like I really like about it is uh it it seems like you 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 spend a lot of time thinking about um the conservation of the landscape and and what it is how important that is uh for photographers I was wondering if you could touch on that a little bit from your own personal kind of perspective a little bit
1: uh, well, that's a, that's a much bigger question than you might think. Um, I, I like to think about things philosophically, and uh, the, unfortunately sometimes it leads me to positions that are unpopular on both sides of the argument. Um, so, yeah, I, I absolutely believe that we should preserve those wild landscapes. I mean, there's an existential factor to it, right? That's a that's foundation of life. Uh, but also uh, the experiences, the experience of wildness, uh, if if we get rid of that, you know, like Wallace Stegner said, something will have gone out of us as people if we lose that. Uh, and I think the problem is that if you don't already know what that experience is like, you will not be able to value it properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's very difficult to explain to people that a piece of land in its wild state can be more valuable than anything you can extract from it or build on it uh, unless you know what that value is, and it's not a value that's measurable in, uh, in money. Uh, and so that, that makes it a, a very difficult argument to make. Uh, and so I, unfortunately, I'm a big supporter of con- conservation, but I don't think that's a war we're going to win.
0: Right. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because you know, I'm, I'm in the same camp myself, Um, and for, for the longest time, um, because of that, I've been a pretty, I wouldn't say I I'm negative about it, but I, 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 I tend to kind of look down on large, you know, photography workshops because of how it draws attention to certain areas. And then those areas get trampled and blah, 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 or popularized. But then, you know, I had a really great conversation with Paul Zizka about this and, and he's he, he explained to me that he he actually uses his workshops to help people make that connection um, that they may have never had before, so that they can also become kind of I guess you could say champions of, of, of conservation. Uh, um, so I'm wondering, kind of, wh- where do you land on that spectrum in terms of what what workshops are doing to the landscape and and I guess to the Landscape photography in general, because I know you do I, I, workshops. That,
1: so, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the word "workshop" has been uh, has been used to describe a lot of different things, which is sure. unfortunate. Some of them are, like I said, trophy hunting expeditions, and some of them are just tours of a place. Um, I, I believe that workshops should be first and foremost learning experience so uh, we do a lot of teaching on our workshops um, and and we definitely don't take people to sensitive or secret places and definitely you don't get the experience of wildness of solitude of, of being dependent on yourself and being completely free from other people uh, because you can't do that on a workshop uh, so we try to do as much as we can we try to i guess primarily eliminate that barrier that people have where it's you know there's there's my safe life in the in the hive and then there's everything out there that's big and scary and unknown and just make them comfortable in the landscape and i think that that's the first step to actually appreciating those experiences is feeling like you have the the skills and the mindset to be comfortable outdoors and that's that opens the door and then somebody can Walk in if they want to, and they can go out and have their true wilderness experiences, uh, and hopefully uh, get a sense for what it actually means.
0: Yeah, that's that's great, because um, I, I feel like you kind of just hit it right on the head when you, with your first sentence, and that workshops have taken on all kinds of shapes and sizes, and I feel like um, if I feel like a lot of people's expectation is that they're gonna get that that trophy shot or whatever and I think um well a lot of photographers perpetuate that by by kind of saying that's what they're going to give you but I like the I like the idea that 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 a workshop can also be a, a teaching experience and a learning experience not only around photography but also just about being in being in the wild
1: Yeah, and I think photography is unique in that, and and it's uh, very unfortunate, I think. I mean, if you take a writing class, you're not going to spend your time copying Shakespeare, (laughs) right? You're going (laughs) to learn to write something of your own. Uh, But in photography, it seems like, well, if everybody comes home with the same shot and they're all happy with it, then that's all that matters.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, um, those are probably the people that end up quitting after two or three years because they've picked up all their trophies and they've moved on to something else I guess but
1: yeah and, and i think that really that's that's the role of a of an instructor of a leader of a teacher is to instill that passion for expression and for creativity in people uh because that's not something that people intuitively expect to be a very profound experience until they actually feel it and then they realize it can be just an incredible thing
0: have have you ever um Led a workshop or or met some people where you've had conversations where they they weren't ever able to make that connection.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I would say that happens. I mean, just as often, some people do and some people don't. Uh, we we try to give people as much as they are willing to accept. But if somebody is uh, deliberately blocking you, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna get into a fist fight with them. But <laughs> right <laughs> damn I, you it you, know, you will people, you, appreciate yeah, you the know, land end up shaking the foundation of what they believe about photography sometimes even about themselves and not everybody responds well to that
0: sure well i mean i mean i guess that makes sense in terms of having a radical shift in in your thinking about <laughs> about an activity that you're paying someone to learn more about
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah but then you know every now and then you 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 reach someone on that level and you just open a door for them that they didn't even realize was there and just that that sense of gratitude that you have done something that meaningful for somebody else to me is the most rewarding part of uh, of teaching.
0: Yeah. So one of the things I was hoping to um talk to you about um was your book More Than a Rock. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, I haven't read it. Um I think it would be cool to read it, but I was kind of just curious as to kind of what what would you cover in your book and then what kind of inspired you to write it?
1: Uh, well, it's a book of essays, and most of them have been uh, published before and then re-edited for the book. Um, but it's it's sort of a collection of things that I wrote over the years that I just wanted to put in one place and, and categorize and make them available. Um, so yeah, for me, it was it was a labor of love. And to be honest, I didn't even uh, think that the publisher would be interested, but thankfully they were, and I got a lot of really good feedback from it. And it's a lot... Um, oh, I don't know of any other book like it, so it's kind of hard for me to compare it to anything. (laughs) But uh, it's divided into four sections, uh, and some of them talk about the art and the craft of photography from my personal perspective, you know, not how to do this or that, but – you know how, how to how to use the medium in an expressive way and then there're two other parts are experiences where I talk about some of my real experiences in the wild uh, and most of them having to do with making images while having those experiences in in the wild um, and then the last part is uh, it's called meditation it's just some of the some of the thoughts that come to my head when when i'm when i'm out there you know when i'm essentially living my life and, and i tell people that i i really live out there and i come home to sleep and shower every now and then and they think i'm joking but uh no i'm that's what i do
0: <laughs> so how how much time would you say you, you spend in the field
1: uh it's hard for me to to assess i would say upward of 100 nights a year but uh, sometimes more sometimes less
0: okay and and are you other than doing workshops are you are you mostly by yourself? yes wow, that's awesome that for some people that probably sounds scary, but for I me, mean I'm married I, so I just my wife it sounds is, amazing
1: yeah, I'm with my wife when I'm home uh, but yeah for a a big part of my life for my entire life really since my childhood I've been alone literally most of the time
0: and does your does your wife ever go out with you sometimes yeah 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 my my wife's um introvert. And um, she's not super hardcore into the outdoors, but um, it's really nice to be out there with her and I think she appreciates how, how nerdy I get when I'm out <laughs> in, in the woods and the mountains because like, I just geek out over the dumbest dumbest stuff like, oh, look at that rock or that flower or that lake or yeah. look at that mountain, Like, let me tell you about that. And she's like, whatever. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, like I'm just so geeking out over it.
1: But. Oh, that's great. Uh, that's, that's, you have a relationship with these things, and that's that's very it's a very good thing.
0: Absolutely. So speaking of um, having a relationship with nature, I think it was you. I remember you had published an article about a famous tree that you had photographed, and I. I want to say that you had said, like, you had wished that you had never taken a picture of it. Is that? Am, is this, am I speaking mm. right?
1: No. Uh, it, it was, uh, well, I know the one you're talking about. It, uh, yeah, at, at the time, it wasn't very famous. I think I yeah, made right, it famous. Yeah, right, yeah, but now, now it is, uh, right? Yeah, I, I, that, that bothers me a little bit. But, you know, that, that was a little bit to be expected, Um Probably the the first place that really spoke to me out here uh, is the the Grand Staircase Escalante. Actually, I, I came here just as the monument was declared uh, mm. in '96, uh, and so I went out and explored there quite a bit before you know most people knew what was there. Uh, and it's the kind of place where at the time that Hole in the Rock Road was, uh, it was an experience in itself just to drive it. Um, now it's been graded and it's a lot more convenient. Oh, you still there, Matt? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but anyway, I think you know, to an extent that was to be expe- expected because it's not that far from the road. It's not that difficult to get to. It's just that you can't see it from the road. You have to you have to walk there. But what really troubled me is, uh, I mean, for me, this was the place where I would go and camp out in the Grand Staircase for a couple of weeks and not see anybody. Uh, now mm-hmm, you can't mm-hmm. you can't do that anymore. Uh, and that particular place, it's it's a big. It's a series of big dome-shaped rocks and i like to just hike up to the top of these rocks and just sit there you know just to meditate just to to, you know look at the elements just to look at the weather just to be by myself and there's a great view from up there uh and if you go to the top of these domes you realize that some of them have these big holes in them and there's pretty big trees in there Uh, so yeah that tree was thriving for a pretty long time and it's a good-sized tree and it was all completely engulfed, completely covered inside that big rock dome, so you wouldn't even know it's there. Uh, but it recently died, which was one oh. bad thing. And the other thing is uh, that area was recently, you know, I, 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 use, I use a word that uh, to me doesn't mean what it means to most people. That area was developed.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm.
1: now, now there's a parking lot and a, and a pit toilet and a no camping sign, and it's just not the same place anymore. Uh, right so for it's, for me, it's that's not wild it anymore uh correct, so I mean, yeah, the place is still there, literally, but um the experience is not the same uh to to me the the main attraction is not the tree it's the the sense of communing with that tree all by yourself after you haven't seen another human being for a week, and that's an experience you can't have anymore
0: hmm yeah, you know that's that's one of the biggest reasons why i'm I'm a big 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 supporter of wilderness areas because i mean it's not a fail-safe solution but it definitely protects areas from quote-unquote being developed um you know there's still here in Colorado I anyway, know there's 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 areas of like the Weminuche wilderness area that have been popularized just because of um, the mountains that are there and the and people wanting to climb them but for the most part there are just areas up there that 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 will never be touched until, unless, you know, Wilderness Act gets repealed or something. But um, I, 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 I know exactly what you mean. It's, there's something about a the sense of place and connecting to that sense of place. And if that sense, that place is altered in any way or, or quote unquote developed, I, I mean, I would personally feel a profound sense of loss if that were to happen to certain areas that I, that I enjoy. Um, So, I mean, I guess that that seems like kind of what you're describing is almost like a sense of loss. Uh,
1: It it is. And, and, you know, I'm just going to preempt, you know, some people think it's an egotistical thing to to feel. Uh, But I, I don't think so because I'm not the only one that's denied that experience. That experience is now denied to everyone. Uh, and it's a very deep and profound experience that many more people could have had that will not have it anymore. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to search for a little bit. There's a, a great quote from uh, David Brower uh, that he wrote about um, Glen Canyon after they created the uh, Lake Powell uh so uh, right just before just before the dam uh El- David Brower, who was the executive director of the Sierra Club at the time uh and uh, Elliot Porter the photographer went to document uh that area before it got flooded uh and they created a book called a place no one knew uh hmm. and this is uh, yeah this is David's uh quote at the end of the book he says remember these things lost the native wildlife the chance to float quietly down a calm river to let the current carry you past a thousand years of history through a living Canyon of incredible haunting beauty here the Colorado had created a display that rivaled any in the world the side Canyon simply had no rivals we lost wholeness integrity in a place one that always have let man experience a magnificent gesture of the natural world. No man in all the generations to be born of man will ever be free to discover for himself one of the greatest places of all. This we inherited and have denied to all others, the place no one knew well enough. And I think that really sums it up. It's it's not that I want to save these places to myself, but <laughs> the fact that 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 experience has now been denied to all humans from now on, um, and I think that's a shame. And that's one of those experiences you, you just you can't express in words what, what it means, what it feels like, and that's very unfortunate.
0: Oh man, I'm kind <clears> of <throat> out of loss for words there because uh, first that was a moving quotation, but. Uh, it just really resonates with me because um, I don't know. I guess I was raised by my parents to be really appreciative of the land, and and you know they kind of instilled in me like a leave no trace type ethic. And um, I feel like to some degree, just be, you know, outdoor activities have become more popular, and photography is even more accessible than ever. And I feel like some people have where they just weren't they just weren't raised with those standards or those ethics or maybe they just never appreciated them or understood why that would be important but you're right um development of those areas is um it's funny because the intention of development of some of those areas is to let more people experience those places but at the same time, it's forever ruining the experience for everyone. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, as, as you were saying that, I'm a little ahead of you. I was looking up uh, something that Yvonne Chouinard said uh, fairly recently. He said, everyone doing this outdoor lifestyle thing hits the death of the outdoors. Mm i think for a lot of people the outdoors is now just a sport or, or just a means of collecting photographs or you know mm-hmm. just uh something to say you did uh but it's it's no longer it's no longer something sacred it's no longer something that is that is part of your humanity part of your character part of who you are i mean it is for a lot of people i'm sure but sure uh, I, I think that this uh, uh I mean, I, I always had a problem with people saying, well, photography gets people out to nature, and that's a good thing. I don't think it's unequivocally a good thing. And, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, when I would say things like that, I, I would practically get assaulted. Uh, but now I see a lot more people are coming to this realization that this uh, this uh, huge increase in popularity of these places for whatever purposes uh, is is killing them.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I... I... I kind of got to witness it firsthand um, just from my appreciation of, (laughs) that's funny because it's, it does sound selfish, like only I'm allowed to experience nature the way it's supposed to be, but (laughs) you know, like when I was a kid, my parents would take me up into the mountains and and you'd run into maybe one or two other people and, and pretty much everyone that was up there was up there for the kind of the same reason and was a, you know, I mean, they just wanted to be there and appreciate it. And nowadays, it's like you go to those places and it's it's a freaking zoo. Like there's just yep. thousands of people up there and you're like, what happened? I don't understand.
1: Yeah, and I remember I had an argument with one person once. He said, well, what if other people want to have the experience that you did? And I said, well, that's exactly it. To have the experience that I did, they would need to not know that it's there. They would need to discover it and be awed by it. Um, and if you know where it is, you already start off from not having the same experience that I did.
0: Hmm. Oh, I just feel like within the internet age, those, that's just almost impossible to some degree in terms of, I mean, I know there's areas like in the Southwest for sure. And like in Yellowstone and Alaska where there's undiscovered areas, but on the large, I feel like there are just areas that they've been discovered by someone and it's been blogged about or it's been photographed. And It's harder and harder as time goes on to preserve those areas, I feel like.
1: Uh, Well, I think that's the thing, is people think that if they preserve the appearance of the area, that's good enough. But if you don't also preserve the experience of the area in all its dimensions, you know, the silence, the solitude, the difficulty of access, those are all dimensions of experience, and those don't feature anywhere in conservation efforts.
0: Hmm. I'm having an existential crisis on our conversation. (laughs) (laughs) seriously because i you know every once in a while i'll write uh, uh articles for magazines or or on a, on my other website for mountaineering and i you know i give people instructions like here's how you get to this place and it's now i'm like uh should i do that <laughs> you know like maybe i shouldn't do that uh well maybe uh pick we'll change topics so that uh i don't cry myself to sleep tonight um or maybe I should, but, uh, one of the things that I like to ask, um, my guests is, um, you know, the name of my podcast is F Stop Collaborate and Listen, and I'm wondering, um, what advice would you have for other photographers or new photographers, um, relating to the concepts of collaborating and listening?
1: Oh, that's, that's a big one. Um, The first thing I would say is when it comes to creative work, I think people tend to carry over their attitude from life and work into everything that they do. But creative work is different. Uh, I think that creative work should be an individual pursuit. So I guess my first recommendation is, first of all, anything that's worthwhile – you're gonna fail at it multiple times. You know your successes will be riddled with failures. So if you're only gonna go for the uh, the fish in a barrel kind of kind of shots, you you're never you're never gonna grow. So don't be afraid to fail. Um, be willing to experiment. Be willing to be yourself. Be willing to. I mean, there's so much of our lives today that's just controlled and manage you know there's laws there's rules there's traditions there's all kinds of things that dictate so much of what we do here is something that you do by choice and that no one has the right to dictate anything that you do do it for yourself do it in your own way just try to try to uh tone down the the background noise and just just be yourself use these as, as those flow experiences where all your attention is completely focused on yourself and what you're doing uh, rather than what you will do with it or how what anyone might think about it just a quality of experience to me is so much more important and more rewarding than any photograph that you would make uh, so make that the primary focus um, and allow yourself time to grow you know in the past if you wanted to be an artist you went and apprenticed with a master for years and decades before anybody even considered you an artist And, you know, tell tell somebody today that it might take years or decades from the time you bought a camera until your work is worth showing, you know, it's not going to (laughs) fly, but... But it's still true. Ask anybody that's been practicing anything with a passion for years or decades, and they'll tell you what I do today is, is worlds apart from what I did when I started off. No matter how good I thought I was, you just start to realize just how much more there is. Uh, so don't don't be deterred by it. You know, it's it's part of the, the adventure of life. It's part of it's part of growing. As it grows with you, and it's part of you, and it expresses something about you. Uh, and this is something that you could do. You could practice with that attitude. Uh, it's your choice i don't know that might be more than just a simple advice but uh i guess what i'm saying is it's 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 your own individual pursuit that you can practice on your own terms
0: yeah no man that's that's right on because um that's something i've been kind of preaching for the last year or two is um i've been kind of on this crusade for calling people out on on bad-mouthing other photographers or or techniques or like You know like why 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 it shouldn't matter what other people are doing focus on your own work and and and, um improving yourself and who cares what other people do and to some degree i would say who cares what other people think i mean it's it's (laughs) hard if if you're getting something out of it for yourself then who cares if someone else doesn't like it
1: (laughs) And if it doesn't elevate your life, if you don't get some real, meaningful, profound experiences out of it, then what's the point? You know, go do something else.
0: Right. It's funny. A friend of mine that I've shot with a couple times uh, messaged me the other day about the podcast. And he's like, man, like I listen to some of your podcast and it's kind of depressing because it makes me want to like not go take photos anymore because of all the conversations you have with people about, you know, like about conservation and stuff like that and i'm like well you know maybe maybe that's right maybe photographer maybe you're doing it for the wrong reasons like it's not about instagram likes and facebook likes it if that's what you're doing it for like it's you're going to be sadly disappointed with the result i feel like
1: well not just with the result but with the value that you get out of it right i mean when when you're on your deathbed and you look back at what you did in your life going to care about how many likes your picture got right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Like, wow! Well, like, you know, it's well, one day I climbed this mountain and I did this trick and then I experienced this and I saw that and I spent this time over there and I got to see things that other people didn't and I got to do things that other people didn't and I, you know I really got to live those are the things that would matter to you
0: absolutely absolutely oh man well that's whew, that's probably one of the best answers I've had on the podcast um. <laughs> thank you <laughs> Um so then the last the last question I like to ask people is um who who would you want to hear on the podcast in terms of someone that you would think would be interesting or someone that's been inspirational to you or 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 maybe someone that you've always kind of been just curious to know more about
1: Oh uh well I was I had an answer to you until you said somebody I'm curious to know more about <laughs> cuz I was going to recommend one of my closest friends or two of them actually Well it doesn't have to be uh, that but <laughs> um, well my my very very good friend Michael Gordon uh I think is a, an amazing photographer uh a great friend uh and I I think a lot of people are not familiar with his work like it deserves to uh to be known so I would definitely definitely recommend him. Uh my good friend Colleen Minxberry uh also very very inspirational photographer, wonderful teacher, uh always has very inspiring advice. Uh, but those are people that I know very well. Um, as far as people that I don't know, oh, that's a tougher one. <laughs> uh, be, be, being an introvert, I don't spend a lot <laughs> of time um, <laughs> researching who's doing what. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's uh, one photographer in Colorado that I've for many, many years wanted to hear speak. He's uh, he's pretty old right now, and I don't know if he would be interested in doing a photograph. Uh, 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 podcast his name is robert adams and he wrote a couple of what i consider seminal books about photography uh he was part of a great movement uh, uh, of, of photographers at the time when colorado was starting to be developed just showing the juxtaposition between the the natural beauty and the the human made uh you know i would say ugliness for lack of a better word sure sure uh, kind of doubt he'd be interested um i don't know i can i can rattle off a long list of names of people that i have heard speak and that i think are fascinating uh bruce barnbaum is one of them uh it's an incredible photographer he was the first photographer to photograph slot canyons um well
0: well i mean uh, I that's <laughs> that one... four man that's i mean that's you just well, gave me a go. lot of work to do <laughs> 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 yeah. that's okay though i mean it's funny because um I'd say my success rate of, of recruiting people is about seventy five percent, which I feel is pretty good. But um, some people.
1: How about I give you one more just to round it up? Also, a friend of mine from uh, from Moab, Bruce Hucko, uh, he's the organizer of the Moab Photography Symposium, uh, and he's he pretty much knows everybody who's photographed in the Southwest, uh, and he has some incredible stories um, about the Southwest and about photography. Awesome.
0: Yeah, that would be that would be great to talk to someone who's got that breadth of experience for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, wow, man, this has been an awesome conversation. I uh, I really appreciate um, just the the candidness of your answers and just the thoughtfulness oh. of of the conversation.
1: Uh, you, you know, I, I think too many people try to. Make personas for themselves (laughs) rather than just be who they are. And really, I mean, what's the point? You got to live as who you are. It's the most satisfying.